You're about to listen to another Bonversation. If you like this episode, you can find more at johnlebon.com. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. It wasn't a tent, it was this magnificent thing. Yes, it's your host, JLB, coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria, and our special guest today for episode number 33. Boy, has this guy got a story to tell. He's run his own independent online news outlet for well over a decade. His articles have appeared in the Australian alternative news magazine, New Dawn, including a feature article in the September 2022 edition, and it was the front and center article. The cover of the magazine was dedicated to this guy's article. We'll talk about that later on. His work has been cited and linked to by alternative writer Miles Mathis. He recently gave a presentation at the Paradigm Shift Summit on the Gold Coast in Australia. He was visited by the police because of an alleged gunman in the Queensland police shooting from December 2022. That guy was a prolific commenter on this guy's news site. What the hell? And it says here that this guy is fun to get on the froffies with and is an all-round good bloke. Who wrote this introduction? I've got with me Ethan Nash from TOTT News. Ethan, great to have you on the Bonversations. Uh, what an introduction, mate. Thank you so much. I, it's really good to be here on the Bonversations, episode 33, mate. I'm glad we could make this happen. It's almost like it's meant to be those numbers that tend to follow us everywhere around, but I'm really glad to be here. Hello to the JLB audience. It's always good to be in a, a central hub for scepticism, and I'm looking forward to having a chat about a lot of things here in this episode, mate take us both a little while to warm up because in your part of the world it is very early and in my part of the world it is very late but this is the only way we could get our times to match up and i was saving episode 33 for you so if people are wondering why has there been such a gap from episode 32 to 33 this man is the reason why and i'm so glad we get to make you special guest number 33 for the conversations we've got a lot to talk about here ethan on the dot point list i've got the epsilon agenda your feature piece for the New Dawn magazine. You've done some amazing research on what the people, some people, I don't know who they are, but they seem to have a plan for the masses. And some of your research is brilliant. We'll talk about that. The Paradigm Shift Summit, which you were a feature presenter for, we'll talk about that. Pete Evans and vaccines. Now, Pete Evans is a very well-known TV personality in Australia, but he has been cancelled for his views on vaccines. You interviewed him. We'll talk about that. And then this police knocking on your door, this is the real deal, man. When we started podcasting together back in 2014, I don't think either of us thought that one day one of us would get a knock on the door from the police to do with the websites that we run. That's full on. We'll talk about that. And then also, I know you've got uh, a bit of a bee in your bonnet about some of the charlatans in the alternative scene in Australia during this whole corona nonsense. It became very evident to you that there are some people who present themselves as some kind of alternative, but perhaps they're not as alternative as they present. So we've got lots to talk about. But before we get to that, you haven't been on an official interview for this website, and I haven't been on your website either for an official interview for two years. So give myself and give the audience an idea. What's been going on, man? Give us an update. Oh, John, I mean, heaps has happened during that time. I was just saying to you off air, the last time we spoke in July 2021, that was before, I guess, Australia made 
international headlines, especially Melbourne during the lockdown period with mass protests and everything that happened. I'm sure most of the world out there was paying attention to what was going on in Melbourne at the time. And obviously being a long-standing alternative site here in Australia was able to attract a lot more viewers. And the last time I was on this website, we were talking about my bushfire article and everything. So there was a string of events, the bushfires and then COVID. But then when the world's attention come to Australia, that really took the website to another level. And we haven't spoke since that period. So, so much has happened since then, just living here in Australia through that time and trying to navigate everything that you were talking about in the introduction. It's been crazy. And you're right. Back when we were, I was a kid back then when we were doing the Australian Roundtable podcast 2014 and 15. And it was crazy. Like we never envisioned that, as you said, we would end up in a situation where these things would happen. But I'm thinking about it at the same time, you know, when we went out to that G20 in 2014, that was a very interesting experience, you know, getting searched by police and just the hyper-militarisation. You sort of got a window into what the future would look like. When all of this stuff happened in Australia and especially Melbourne, it's like, I've seen this before. It was at the G20 in Brisbane. So there was some glimmerings of the future, but in terms of being right in the thick of it, I don't think I could have ever imagined the situations that um, have happened during that period since we last spoke, mate. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> and the listeners will have to forgive us if either of us get a little bit sentimental, either in this first hour or especially in the second hour, because putting everything else aside, when we first met in Brisbane, at that bar, I remember um, near the, not like a protest, but a little get-together of alternative thinkers, we first met at a bar, had a couple of beers. When I was doing my prep for today, going through my my notes and uh, going through some of your work and getting everything ready. I was sitting there at the cafe and I couldn't help but think it is phenomenal to me to look back nine years ago, we started this and everything that's happened since then, the path that you've gone on with your life, the path that I've gone on with my life, to think it all started with two dudes who thought the media was lying to us, who had a couple of beers at a bar somewhere in Brisbane. And here we are nine years later doing conversations number 33, just sitting here right now, a beautiful it's about just after midnight here in beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria, looking out of the balcony, talking to you right now. It's a full-on experience. But you know what? We'll save the sentimentality for later on. Let's get right into the thick of the good stuff right now. You published a piece called The Epsilon Agenda in the New Dawn magazine, the feature piece of the magazine. First thing you can do for us is tell the listeners who might not be familiar with New Dawn, what is this magazine, who publishes it, and why is it such a big deal to you and to me and to anybody in Australia in the alternative scene. Why is it such a big deal that you were the feature piece with this article in New Dawn magazine? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, for those who may not be familiar with the magazine, it has been around in Australia for a while. So they started in 1991, and that was the pre-internet age. And we've known from our friend Sil- uh, Lindsay the Silver Fox that there was some sort of a, a small community of alternative thinkers before the internet here in Australia. They used to go to things like the Inverell Forum and what have you. And New Dawn, I guess, became, along with a couple of other magazines, the go-to platforms during that era. And I guess have just become, in a sense, legacy alternative media outlets here in Australia. They were doing it before everyone else. And 
in the internet age as I've sort of grown my website, it's been really good to connect with them. I started writing for them in August of 2019. So it took about two years to even get a feature piece story as the leading story. So it just tells you about the quality of writers that they get from all over the world, every single edition and the huge names that they've interviewed and had promote their magazine. And so to be the leading story of that was a, a big deal for myself, obviously, just due to the journey. I, I remember back in those days when we were having those beers in that small little alternative community, people were in that group handing me New Dawn magazines back when I was nobody. I just started a little blog. And so to come full circle and then have my work sort of featured to their audience is, I guess, yeah, to explain the sort of picture behind it, that would sum it up. You know, it's a big deal in that sense. And the good thing is they started back then and they're a part of the Akato distribution network so they're not just online and they're not just physical that you buy from them. This magazine's in almost every news agency in Australia on the shelves because news agents don't have a choice what they stack. They have to stack based off of what Ocado and all of these distributors provide to them. So everywhere in Australia, you can just walk in and get it off the shelf. And so for such an important topic, especially the Epsilon Agenda, mate, which you have unlock the door for me way back in 2016 and then obviously your work in 2017 on the website on it to have such an important topic reach that length of a public sphere you know I, I didn't think that that would be possible you know there's it's it's a very deep topic as many of your listeners know so that was a really milestone moment in my estimation and the, the great part talking about numbers mate now as the um, September October edition so September 11th of that year all over the country it was epsilon agenda piece on the front of New Dawn magazine so I think that in terms of just the bigger scope of how I look at things and the deeper workings of the world it, that was a really special moment for me. It's special for me as well to look at the front cover of this so to give the listeners who might not be aware of New Dawn or maybe haven't seen this particular edition let me tell you what's on the front cover, because obviously I bought myself a copy. Very glad that I did. Here's what it says. Number one magazine for people who think for themselves, New Dawn. Reading this magazine might change your life. And so on the front cover, number 194, open your mind to new ideas. The lead story, Epsilon Agenda, the final revolution. Now, to give people an idea of what other sort of um, articles are in New Dawn, just they've got a better idea of what this is all about. The other stories in this edition, Guide Stones to Hell. Behind the Rise and Fall of the Mysterious Monument, Micronesia's Forgotten Goddesses, Megaliths, Petroglyphs, and the Legacy of Mu, When a Neuroscientist Discovered the Magical Universe, Lest We Forget, They Want You to Forget Lockdowns, Vaccine Coercion and COVID Hysteria, New Bioweapon, Your Own DNA, Canberra's Geometric Powers, Australia's Cosmic Capital, and then Hell, Where Did the Idea Come From? Soul Invictus, Could the Sun Cripple? Technocracy's Great Reset. Available for $9.95, including GST, at all good news agencies and some crap ones. And then take a look at this front cover. Do you know who did the artwork for this? It's like a, a biological futuristic man. And then in the background, there's the red. This is a very professional and a little bit alarming, I have to say, Ethan Nash, front cover of the magazine. Who did the artwork for this? 
Um, I'm not entirely sure, but they have a great design team. And as you look through the article itself, even that is gorgeous to look at. And I sort of got an idea of that from my first article way back in 2019. I did one on like the secret state, the monitoring and surveillance of Australia, because that was sort of my key topic at the time back then in the before times. And when you open it up, it was just a big two-page spread with the Australian flag and surveillance cameras and everything. So they've got a really great team that does all of this. Um, sometimes they do reach out to artists that have already done art, I have seen, um, but I'm not sure. There's I haven't really seen any credit for this one, so they might have designed it for themselves. But either way, I think it definitely gets the message across. If you walk into a news agency and see that, it might uh, spark your eye. I can't see how it wouldn't. This really does capture your attention. And so by going through those articles, people get an idea. This is an alternative magazine with a wide range of articles from what we might call conspiracy candy through to like old school conspiracies. And then also some stuff that I would argue is probably more important and more based on actual facts. And your article has like 25 footnotes. They're all listed there. I went through a bunch of your citations for your article. They all checked out. This is a professional magazine that is kind of tailored to a wider alt audience. For you to get this Epsilon gender out to so many people is so cool for me because when I wrote my piece on a similar sort of theme, my article got out to how many people, man? Maybe a few hundred. My work doesn't get out to that many people. This has gotten out to countless thousands of people. When I was reading it today, it blew me away. So that being said, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. What is the Epsilon agenda? I'll shut up. You tell the listeners, when you talk about the Epsilon agenda, what are you talking about? Oh, and I should say before you start, a little bit of a black pill warning. This stuff can get a little bit dark. And I know a lot of people say, oh, JLB, you, you exaggerate or you're hyperbolic about this black pill stuff. And I'm like, no, once you understand what's going on and the evidence that supports this, this isn't cuckoo quackery stuff. This is all supported by the evidence. And you can see it with your eyes once you know what's going on. This is full on stuff, Ethan. It is, John. And I guess... Your work and your discoveries with the likes of you know, Janice Barcelo, who you've recently had on Bombversation, so we're definitely in that theme of things again on your website. So even though it is a black pill topic, it's a better time than ever to discuss it. But you discovering some of that work and sharing some of your early thoughts with me on that in 2016 and seeing your work in 2017 on the website really inspired me to there was something about brave new world and Aldous Huxley and everything like that that really gripped me um there's something you know you did those pieces on it and then essentially went on to you know a lot of sync work and everything like that and you've done some fantastic stuff but there was something about that certain topic that really gripped me and I wanted to take a little bit further and you have done fantastic work explaining the ultrasounds how is this so-called sound that is coming through the womb many mothers especially in my generation subject themselves to what they have to what they're really going through c-sections some of the links to suicides and violent aggressive behavior later in life some of the studies that you found all of this was a really hard pill to swallow and I'm sure a lot of people out there that are listening to this who have listened to that Janice Barcelo podcast which may include my audience as well because I shared that on the website to 
promote that so they could go over there and listen to the first hour. Well, your listeners have already heard Janice because you interviewed her a couple of years ago, and I want to talk about that. Let's go through your article, though, because you keep talking about me. Man, your article goes way beyond what I ever did. Let's go through this. You've got maybe eight or nine sections. Huxley's Brave New World, Eugenics Modernization, Pharmacological Somatization, Morphing a Species, Epsilon Defined, In Utero Attack, which is what you were just talking about, A Great Leap Forward, Fertility, IVF, and Designer Babies and Soma Cocktails. It's a very well-laid-out article. For the benefit of listeners who don't have the article in front of them right now, most of them, let's go through this one by one. Let's start with Huxley's Brave New World. Tell us how this fits in with the the overall theme of what you were trying to put together here. Yeah, mate. So with your work, obviously, in the ultrasounds and the hypertech, I sort of went back, and you did some fantastic work tracing it back to Thomas Huxley, for example. So the first two parts of that piece really sort of trace the history from start to finish. And that's what I was sort of concentrating on. How can I read this book and read their work and sort of lay over the the bigger picture from start to finish? So I go very heavily in depth into Brave New World in a sense, this Brave New World order. Was Huxley really just writing a work of fiction? Or was this a blueprint describing what these forces, whoever they are, were doing to humanity, which Oddly enough, included many of his family members. So if you trace that back, Thomas Huxley was Darwin's bulldog, which allowed the theory of evolution to spring. And and when we talk about the history hoax and when we talk about dino hoax and everything like that, when you trace back, it all goes back to the evolution hoax. This concept of natural selection that come out of that, there's been a lot of research and a lot of work that has spoken about how the eugenics agenda this aim of trolling the herd and making them fitter or making them dumber or subjecting them to your will, this emerged from the evolution hoax, which Aldous's grandfather was very involved in. In fact, i very sceptical that Charles Darwin was even a person, if you really look at it. There's very few appearances of him. He didn't show up to accept his medal. It seems like it was this group, and I go into detail in other work talking about how he was a part of the Royal Society and how that still influences things today. They laid the foundation for all of this. And once the Hitler narrative come out, talking about how he took eugenics too far in the open, what happened was Julian Huxley, Aldous's brother, came up with this concept of eugenics modernization said, well, look, we're not going to sterilise people anymore because the Germans just borrowed their programs from mainstream science. Even here in Australia, we had the Eugenics Society of New South Wales and Victoria in the early 30s, Melbourne University. This was mainstream science. And once there was a big commotion, you can't do this anymore. They said, fine, we won't sterilise people. We won't target what we view as the undesirables they will do it to themselves. And this is what Julian Huxley, Aldous's brother, spoke about, this modernisation of eugenics, the widespread promotion of birth control, widespread abortion, the legalisation of homosexuality and all of these things. These people will do it to themselves. And if you see today these transgender hormone replacement therapy treatments that these people are on, it makes them infertile. So what we're seeing, and you can talk about the COVID vaccine and everything, they've instigated programs in the modern age where people will do it to themselves. 
And this is what we're talking about, ultrasounds, birth trauma, the medical system. No one's forcing these people to do it like they did in the days of old, but they're still carrying out this eugenics vision of natural selection. I guess once you get into the real deeper arguments, which we can have later on, is this good? Is it bad? Is it evil? What have you? Those are different discussions. The fact is, this is what is happening, in my estimation, and has been happening for a long time since they were able to convince people, no, you're not the center of the world. You just come from a soulless, voidless nothingness, you come from monkeys, and you're just a stepping stone for the transhuman. That's the philosophy today, the same agenda. And you can trace it, especially the Huxley family, all the way through, mate. There was even a Huxley family member who was the New York Environmental Commissioner when 9-11 happened. So she was responsible for cleaning up all of the dust, cleaning up all of the wreckage. It's been the same name, the same agenda, and Planned Parenthood, Bill Gates' father, obviously the Malthusian trap. This has been going on for a while. So first two sections of that piece, just try to lay the foundation to lead into, well, then what are they doing? Because a lot of people assume that this has all just began during COVID, but as some of your work has highlighted and I sort of go through and expand on in some ways, this has been going on for a while, not just for COVID, right, mate? So you've got this Thomas Henry Huxley, and he's known as Darwin's Bulldog. And just from Wikipedia, just to give some context, I'm sure most listeners are familiar with this, but... Just to give the context so it's all nice and clear, Thomas Henry Huxley was an English biologist and anthropologist who specialised in comparative anatomy. He became known as Darwin's Bulldog for his advocacy of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. So this is one of the guys who helped to promulgate this idea that humans evolved from simpler species, which these days, almost everybody in the West seems to believe that. And certainly that's what I used to believe as well. That was Thomas Henry Huxley. Now, two of his grandsons are very important. One is Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World. The other one is Julian Huxley, who was, as you've pointed out, a eugenicist effectively. And you've got a quote from one of Julian's books in your piece. Let's go and take a look at this. From 1947 book, Man in the Modern World, Julian wrote, and I'm reading here from your article. This is a quote from Man in the Modern World, 1947 by Julian Huxley. This is a grandson of Thomas Henry Huxley and the brother of Aldous Huxley. He wrote this. The lowest strata, allegedly less well-endowed genetically, are reproducing relatively too fast. That is to say, much of our eugenic program will be curative and remedial merely, instead of preventative and constructive. That's the end of the quote. So, from a 1947 book, Man in the Modern World, this is the brother of Aldous Huxley, is writing that the allegedly less well-endowed genetically are reproducing relatively too fast. And as we go through this, it'll become more clear that Aldous Huxley and some of his predictions, it might not be because he was some kind of savant who could see into the future. No, it could be because he comes from a family who have had a plan, not just for the last 10 years or the last 30 years or the last 50 years even. These guys might have had a plan ever since their grandfather was out there promoting the idea of evolution. Absolutely. And when I've done sort of extensive research on the Huxley family, you see that there was 
almost a fascination. There was almost a revereness to Thomas Huxley in the family. He was a very famous person in English society. And, you know, there's photos of Julian Huxley as a small child sitting on Thomas Henry Huxley's lap and read some of the diaries where they said there was a lot of pressure for these kids to follow in the footsteps and to carry on the legacy and to become distinguished intellectuals in their own right. And with Aldous, he suffered a debilitating eye injury very early on in his life. He was actually very blind early on and regained some of it later in his life. But when you look at photos of Aldous, you can see that there's obviously something wrong with one of his eyes. And I think that prevented him from becoming the proper scientist that he was expected to be. So Aldous wrote Brave New World and became a writer and is able to capture spirit of the future, not, as you said, because he was some savant or, oh, my God, look at what he foresaw as a prophet. No, because he was just describing what his family were doing. Now, you can argue maybe later on in his life, Aldous become a bit of a black sheep. He went through a spiritual transformation and I guess tried to warn against it. But when you think of the history of these things, it's very clear that they followed in the footsteps of their grandfather and those that are operating the agenda today are just carrying on in the footsteps. It's the same philosophy. And what are the odds, mate, that he would predict so concisely the true power structure that would emerge. Everyone talks about George Orwell's 1984, which, coincidentally enough, Aldous was actually George's French teacher when he was at university and kept in contact and actually helped him through this process. Everyone thinks about the Orwellian totalitarian state when it was really Huxley's version that has manifested before our eyes this biotechnical medical state where if you've read brave new world babies are born on conveyor belts and there's a massive shift to somatization and drugs and so for the rest of this article i essentially describe how these things have manifested in the real world things that i've just described and not just that the creation the intergenerational creation of an Epsilon class, this post-human slave class. Because when I first went through this theory and it really gripped me back in the day, it was always like, we're talking, why can't everyone see? Why can't everyone awaken? Then we were talking about ultrasounds and all of this stuff. And it was just this revelation, oh, that's why. Then I had this deeper question, but what is it leading to? What's the point of doing that? And so when you see the advancements in IVF technology and you see where the world is going with birth rates and infertility, you can see just like a herd, we are being managed, curated in the exact same way, the exact same philosophy. And it's just leading us to this ultra happy world where everyone's just smart enough to do the job, but just dumb enough not to question things. And if you have any emotional all out or any feelings at all. You take your soma drug and everyone is for everyone. You can't be with one person. You've got to be sleeping with everyone. In fact, it's discouraged to stay with one person more than a week in Brave New World. 
disconditioning, euthanasia. There's so many points we could speak on that Huxley nailed. But then I guess the Epsilon agenda part of it is really the black pill, and that is really through this medical state, them creating essentially a human Epsilon class. And when you look at the world around you, mate, I'm interested to get your thoughts. It seems like we're... This is the final revolution. It seems like, just like in Huxley's book, people around us are, demonstrate a little bit more of Epsilon traits than most people would imagine. And it's worth going through that caste system. So in Brave New World, people are produced to fit into one of the five castes. They're basically designed from birth to fit into either the Alphas, the Betas, the Gammas, the Deltas, or the Epsilons. So the Epsilons are the lowest rank. And who are they? They can't read, they can't write, and they are extremely obedient, and they're destined to perform menial labor. And I think when I first wrote my Epsilon Agenda piece back in 2017, and in the piece that you wrote more recently for New Dawn, the idea, tell me if I've got you right here, the idea is that there are babies being born today that are being born to be effectively Epsilons. They might be able to read and write, so maybe that puts them more in the, the Delta cast based on Brave New World. But in general, they're being designed from the very beginning, whether their parents have any idea or not, to fit into the lower caste who they won't be able to think for themselves. They won't want to think for themselves. They'll be quite happy leading very simple, mundane lives, and they will be entirely obedient to the system. Now, when you look at what happened in 2020, we can talk about Corona later on. I, uh, I don't want to get into that too much, but look at how obedient the masses were when it came to this 2020 nonsense, the corona, the lockdowns, all the rest of it, people are obedient when they're told that there is this external threat. There's this invisible body-possessing demon. We all saw it with our eyes, how even seemingly intelligent people fell right into line. Now, some of these people, they've got decent jobs. They're teachers or they're doctors or they're this or they're that. So these people can be trained. So if we're talking in a strict sense, they might not be epsilons in the Brave New World caste system. But they do fit in with this idea of they've been bred to not think for themselves. That's one of the themes of Brave New World. And what you're suggesting with your Epsilon Agenda thesis is that this is not by accident. Now, let's take a look at this quote from your piece. This is from a 1962 lecture delivered by Aldous at UC Berkeley. So 1962, the guy who wrote Brave New World, he said this, and this is from your article. There will be in the next generation or so a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak. Producing dictatorship without tears. Producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies. And this seems to be the final revolution. That's the end of the quote. Then you end that section of the article by asking the question, could it be the Brave New World was more than a tale of this topic of fiction. Now, in the next section, pharmacological somatization, you list a bunch of statistics about what's happening in the world today. I don't know if you've got these stats in front of you, but don't worry, I've got this all written down. You link to some citations. One of them is that, according to one of the articles that you found, nearly 70% of Americans have at least one prescription for drugs. 80% of professionals running these large medical organizations are receiving money from big pharmaceutical companies, and 98% of women in the West are taking a form of hormonal contraception, at least for a period of their life. So 
it would seem when you look at this objectively, this whole pharmacological approach to influencing the masses and changing the direction of society, this isn't in the future, Ethan. This is happening today, and it's been happening for a long time. It is, John, and it didn't start with corona. It has been going as long as we can get into the history of the medical system, which is in, in itself a hoax, you know, it evolved from alchemy and it, it's just all of these experiments, the synthesization of nature. It was designed as the perfect, as you said, dictatorship without tears. And this is what Huxley describes in his book. And today the mass somatization of society is evident and the fact that Everything that Julian and Aldous spoke about, not just in their books, but in their speeches, in their lectures, is indeed coming true. We're not that far away from essentially the final revolution being complete. In fact, COVID was just the final phase, in a sense, kicking off that final phase, because we're very close to this transhuman era. The Welcome Leap, which is a program of the Welcome Trust, which is when I talk about the head of the snake, I talk about the Royal Society of London because once you discover that all of this is based on scientism and scientism is the largest cult that's in the world, the largest religion, everyone is, oh, trust the experts. That's the real ruling class. It's not, oh, is it the Vatican? Is it the Rothschilds? If you look at the history and, and the history of the Royal Society, how it come from the invisible college and the, the occult origins behind it, even today, some of their fellows include Elon Musk, people like this that are out there promoting scientism. And so when you look at just how this has gripped the world, you can see this is absolutely what is coming. And this is the final revolution. And we always suspected this for years, mate, but as you said, Corona really highlighted it for us. And when we talk about apocalypse, that just etymologically speaking means unveiling, doesn't it? What was really unveiled to us during that period? And one of the main things was, look how obedient the masses have become. I heard comments from people all overseas, which probably wouldn't have done any better in their own situation, but they were saying, I can't believe Australia. Australia was a country of larrikins of rule breakers, of people that stuck their finger to authority and, and all these international people saying, oh, I've drunk with Australians, they're the rowdiest drinkers, they're always punching on, they're just rowdy. And as soon as corona happened, yes, there was elements of that, but the majority of society sat put for what were the world's longest lockdown periods, longer than any other country on earth, Australia. People just sat in their home, receive their welfare and this is what the control system is it's a system of you know they're not grinding you into the dust they're saying here's your handouts here's your support just be a good little citizen nothing will happen to you take your vaccine you can keep your job it's it's a very light-hearted system just like how Aldous describes it in his book there never is any iron fist that comes down in brave new world even at the end they're told well you can just go off to you can go off to iceland and you can go off to these uninhabited colonies and what do you want to do john the savage and he goes to his place because they know they've designed the perfect system where even if you go out you're still left with your thoughts you're still isolated it's a incredible world that we live in and 
the brave new world order. That's why, because a lot of people think it's just the new world order, but it is the brave new world order. And we've seen that. It's been confirmed to us now during the COVID period. This is what has happened to the masses in just a few decades even. Things have changed rapidly, and it's because of things like ultrasounds, birth trauma, the attack on our endocrine system, brainwashing in schools, schooling designed as a you know just a thought factory for the unification of thought. All of this has been designed to produce the perfect post-human slave class. And now some of these programs, like the Welcome Leap, they're already talking, John. How can we prevent future diseases? Well, the first thousand days of a child's life are the most important. If we could just put a microchip in a little baby as soon as they're born, we would be able to detect any of the wrong genes, any of the wrong cells that could develop into future problems. So why don't we just put the chip in them? IVF, skyrocketing. This is... We're only a a few steps away from it being fulfilled. So absolutely, this hasn't happened overnight and we're going into a world where... Very soon, it won't be too long before you just go in and select a, from a, a batch of embryos. Here's your paid top dollar for the good embryos, and if you're poor, well, you, you get the bad embryos. You know, like, it sounds like science fiction, but science fiction has become reality, mate. Well, you mentioned the lockdowns. This is something that will stay with me for the rest of my days. Australians were banned from going to the beach. Australians were told, you cannot go to the beach. And the vast majority of them complied, just like the obedient class have been raised to be. It's that simple. That's what happened. Australians were banned from going to the beach. And in the vast majority of cases, people comply with that. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them would have been the first people to attack anybody who broke those rules. Or you shouldn't have gone to the beach. Of course, the police came to get you. You shouldn't have gone to the beach. They told us. This is straight up epsilon behavior. And I guess what we're suggesting here is that this is no accident. Now, let me ask the listeners out there all around the world here at JohnTheBond.com, Bombersations, what would you guess, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, what would you guess is the proportion of Australians who have at least one chronic condition? Have a think about that. This is for people aged 15 and over. Of all the people in Australia who are at old age or thereabouts or above, what percentage do you think, what proportion have at least one chronic condition. I didn't know this, Ethan, until I read your piece. I wouldn't have got the answer right to this. Do you remember from the uh, the ABS article that you linked to roughly what the proportion is? Um, it's one in two, isn't it? Like 50%? Yeah, it's about 50%. So I went and checked the link that you provided in your article. You've got about 25 footnotes in there. Very well written article. I went and checked it. Sure enough, the ABS says it's about 47% of Australians 15 and over have uh, one chronic condition or more. And then... How many people have a mental or behavioral chronic condition, according to the ABS? It's 20%. I didn't know the numbers were that bad. I knew things were bad, Ethan. I didn't know they were that bad. It is very shocking when you do look at the statistics. And I think even just over the last few decades, Australia really has changed. Society really has changed. A lot of these people that were 20 years old during the 2000s, the early 2000s, for example, they're now 40 and have 20-year-old kids. And there's been a big change since the turn of the millennium, since the 9-11 mega ritual, and we've gone into this new world order, which is becoming a brave new world order, where, yeah, mate, one in two people, chronic illnesses, and I'm sure the ABS statistics, especially with this 
transgenderism push are probably higher now for mental health. This is very interesting to see. And of course, lockdowns made mental health a, a crisis, people, you know, suicide rates going up, things like this. So all of this is there. And of course, you can say, well, how much do you trust the t- statistics? I think that it's pretty accurate because most people are just conditioned again to that default of scientism, big daddy scientism, which is run by the medical industry, and they just go get their ailments. They have their concoction of pills that they have every day for this blood pressure, for this, for that, and they just see that as a normal part of life. They don't see that there is any way, say, for example, if you've got a chronic condition that you can heal it through natural remedies or yoga or eating better. It's just a default big farmer. I think that that's been there for a few generations now where it's become almost institutionalized in Australia. And mental health, of course, you know, there's a lot of fluff around that, what really is mental health, what isn't. But I think there are a lot of people that have been given weird messages and it's just a weird time where the statistics are probably higher than that now. And who's the one that comes out with the solution for all of this? Again, big pharma scientism. So it is very shocking when you read the statistics because you know who is responsible and who is problem, reaction, solution, causing the problem and then offering the solution in the end. We make a good point. Can we trust the statistics? Obviously, we can't trust them on face value. I don't know how many people are on one or more medications in Australia or in the US or elsewhere. Obviously, I don't know. I'm at the point where do I even really want to know? Because I don't take any medications. I don't pretend to be the most healthy person. But to me, the idea of someone telling me, you've got to take this pill, whether it be for a few months or the rest of your life, that to me seems very strange. I'd want a very good reason to do that. But apparently, this is very common to the point where, Ethan, let's suppose this first hour gets listened to by, let's say, four or 500 people is what these conversations are getting. Between three and 500 people the first hour. That's the listenership. So let's just say this one gets around that number. There's a very good chance, Ethan, that there's people who are all around the world right now, dozens if not hundreds of people, they're taking daily medication, whether it is for so-called high blood pressure or it is for so-called depression or whatever. And I'm not criticizing them. All I'm saying is, and I can't speak for you, all I'm saying is this has already happened much more than maybe people like me realize. I'm a little bit sheltered from the world. The idea of people taking medications to me is it's a very strange thing. but And so if anyone out there who's like me, who's like, what? How many people are taking medications? How many people have these chronic problems? I don't know. But according to the stats, it's a lot of people, not a small percentage. This has already happened. This dependence on big pharma, on pharmacological um, so-called solutions, this is already in. It's already set in. Now, why is this happening? One idea might be that this isn't just some kind of profit motive, big business, big pharma. They're just doing this to make money. There's an idea that at least part of this is being driven by an agenda that has been there for generations, many generations, and what they want is a populace who are dependent on pharmaceuticals as early as possible in people's lives. And it seems to be happening, and I don't think it's an accident. And I guess basically if you could boil a lot of this down, Ethan, that's the idea. This might not be an accident. This might be an intentional thing. And maybe there's more people involved as the consumers There's more people involved in this agenda as the the end consumer than they realize. And I'm not trying to criticize them. Ethan, give me your thoughts on this. I'm not trying to criticize people who take, you know, hormone-based contraceptives. 
I'm not criticizing people who take so-called um, SSRIs or whatever. Everyone has to make their own decisions on the, on the micro, on the individual level. But just looking across the population, this Epsilon agenda that you're speaking about, this is not the early days. This isn't even the middle days. We appear to be towards the end of what is a multi-generational plan. Correct. Yes. And I think that's why it's a black pill after all. Obviously, the information is very confronting, but you have to think of your own circumstances in that. And I did the same back in 2016. I thought the life that I was living was a life of pure freedom when I realized, no, I was just probably one of the biggest agents of the system itself. And I guess important thing is, is if you are out there doing that, it's just being aware of it that's the important part because you can't sit here as saints and say everyone's perfect and no one's a victim of this. Everyone is a victim of this. This is why it is so powerful. Everyone knows someone that is on medication or what have you. Everyone knows Big Pharma. Everyone has had experiences with the medical system. This is widespread and there's been members on my website who said, oh, man, that, that video was intense. We gave our kids a, a couple of ultrasounds when they were born. And man, that, that really, I'm going to have to sit on that information. Like, it hits everyone, even people that have questioned 9-11 or questioned this and that for years. You really pull back the layers with the black pills. It is very confronting. And no doubt there'd be people listening to this that are a part of that. And I guess it's all just about those steps to try and make yourself not as not even as dependent on big pharma but it's more the psychology of understanding that this is really a blanket that has come over the world that people put their trust in and you can absolutely step by step even if it's small steps to mitigate yourself from it and and the same discussion comes with alternative communities and building parallel societies there still is small elements of interactions you have to be in this system we're in this realm and there is small interactions you've got to you've got to be in the system to work your way out of the system in a sense and it's the same for these black pill topics where we're all in this and some of us have eyes to see and why is that and that's a whole different conversation why have we been able to go through 12 years of education and go through these things and out on the other side not as epsilons why is that also understanding that's a really good thing and we're in a better position than most people in the world who are going to continue this intergenerationally they're going to be calling for the microchips for their babies they're going to love just going and selecting an embryo in the future there's a reason why a lot of my audience are not younger and you would think that the young generation the world would be the one that is should be fighting and the most ambitious and wanting to build the future. We live in a world today where they're the ones that will be the first Epsilon class, these babies that are being born now. And just look at it. Look at the statistics of literature and mathematics and everything. I mean, there's kids that don't even know today how to write with a pencil or a pen because they've used iPads and iPhones and computers their whole life. They don't even know how to write with a pen. So it's we're entering into an era where they will be the Epsilons and just like the Epsilons, if you try to take that system away from them, if you try to take the drugs away from them, they will revolt against you just as they have on many levels during the COVID pandemic. Oh, you're breaking the rules. Oh, you're doing this. 
That's what Huxley highlights in the book. It says, even if you are someone that does see what's going on and you're like John the Savage and you smash all of the Somo cabinets, what happens to him? All the Epsilons just turn on him and go, and just start to attack him and they have to come in with the Soma gas and gas everyone into a lull, you know, a very happy lull. They're so close to that. And that I guess that's the biggest black pill of it all is being born, anyone that's really under the age of 50, we've been born into a world, this is ingrained in society and is, is already happening. And there's almost black pills in my estimation, the ones where you're like, well, geez, is there anything I can really do about it? And you realize not really. So it comes back to the individual sense, you know, just we're all in this. And if you take the steps to try and avoid this and if you give your children the best opportunity through home birth or through home education and things like this you can at least in our communities create a better world for ourselves and that's what i always like to distinguish there's a difference between the path that they're on this brave new world order and the epsilon agenda and the path that we're on now that doesn't mean we haven't been victims of it but we're aware of it and we can stop at least in our world in our communities the utopian vision coming true all around. You know, my biggest hope, John, will be like in Brave New World that we can be the savage reservations with the viniparous primitives that live out there and they're used as a tool to reinforce how good the state is for the people that live in it. It's like, oh, you don't want to live out there with those dirty people that give birth. I'm hoping there is a spot we can go and even if we're a part of the system, we can make sure that we're not completely into this whole transhuman push that's going on because that's just a nightmare waiting to happen, mate. Savage reservation. Man, Bulgaria's not that bad. Give them a chance. <laughs> no, I'm feeling good out here. We're not as affected in Bulgaria, I feel like, compared to the Western countries. But the truth is, I don't know how medicated people are here, and I'm not sure that I want to know. So we've gone through your article here. We've talked about Huxley's Brave New World. Of course, Aldous was the grandson of Thomas Henry, the brother of Julian. These people seem to have known what they were doing. Not that I'm suggesting that Aldous wanted this to happen. It almost seems to me from reading his book, which I read for the first time uh, many years ago, it almost seems like he was merely talking about what's coming down the line. I'm not sure he was necessarily for it or against it. We spoke about the Huxleys. We spoke about the eugenics that they openly spoke about. The pharmacological somatization, as you call it, the morphing of the species. We've already got all these people with chronic conditions and all these other problems, many of them being medicated, apparently. You mentioned the in utero attack, of course, this idea that so-called ultrasound is not safe. It is not effective. We don't need to get into that right now. I've spoken about it before. You have as well. We've both interviewed Janice Barcella, who has probably done more than anybody else to get this idea out there that, guys, even according to the scientific literature, this stuff isn't safe and it isn't effective and you shouldn't be doing it. The last part of your article talks about fertility, IVF, and designer babies. Let me ask the listeners out there all around the world, what would you guess, according to the official uh, literature on this, the, uh, the official story, shall we say, what percentage of Australian couples who are trying for a baby are using IVF? Let me word that question a bit differently. If you had to guess, of all of the couples in Australia, all of the men and women who are together who want to make a baby, what number would you guess are turning to in vitro fertilization? That is, uh, you know, assisted reproduction. This is according to the official studies, so we don't know if this is true. It could be worse than this. It could be better. We don't know. But listeners all around the world here at Bombersations.com, what would you guess right now as we sit here or stand here? You might be 
out walking the dog or on the train on the way to work, whatever you're doing, just have a guess. I'll tell you the official figures in a moment. What percentage of couples trying for a baby already today as we speak are turning to in vitro fertilization? So I'll throw to you there, Ethan. This actually wasn't in the article in New Dawn. You spoke about IVF and some of the problems to do with it. What I went and did, I want to find out what are the official numbers here. So let me ask you, let's just throw this to you off the top of my head. Let's see how you go with this. Of all the couples in Australia trying for a baby, if you had to guess, and you've seen more of this episode on agenda than most people, so you should be more black pill than most people, what would you guess is the number according to the official statistics on this? What would you guess? I think it would be probably not as high as the chronic conditions statistic, but I still think it would be a sizable number. I think it probably would be maybe approaching 20% or so. That's an excellent guess. Listeners, if you were guessing 5% of Australian couples are turning to in vitro fertilization, you've underestimated. If you guessed 10%, you've underestimated. According to the official numbers, it's one in six. I didn't know it was that bad until today. So I read your article. You mentioned some of the problems with IVF and what have you. I wanted to just go a little bit further and see what are the statistics today. It's one in six. Now, I didn't know it was that bad. So the issue here is, and you spoke about this in your article, the decrease in uh, male sperm levels. And this is according to the official story and the number of people who are struggling to have children, what have you. I thought I want to go further and see what, what are the numbers on this? One in six Australian couples are turning to IVF. Even I didn't know it was that bad. Oh, that is pretty bad, but... I, I have seen it, especially in my generation. It is much more common, especially on social media. People share their IVF stories and oh, I'm not having as much success and all the thousands of dollars I have to pay. It's become a very you know, normal thing in society. It's it's becoming very normalized, especially with the younger generations. And uh, I guess when I look at statistics, I try to cross-reference it with other things. What do I see and what are some other numbers that you can see. So when it comes to, let's say, mass pharma somatization, you've got the mass statistics, but then you can look at other statistics like profits. You're making record revenue. So you wouldn't be making record revenues if no one's buying it. So you can cross-reference some statistics with other statistics. And with this, I can see when you look at the birth rate drop and infertility, these are two areas of research that check out this drop in the quality of male sperm all over the West, not just here in Australia, but this drop in the quality of sperm and the birth rate, which they tell us, oh, it's because people are scared of climate change, John. They're not having babies because of climate change. And don't worry about the birth rate statistics because we're going to be importing immigrants every year. So that number's going to go up. Australia's population will go up and you don't have to worry about it declining birth rates and the thing with IVF is it creates classism so the only ones who will be able to afford and this is the genius level of the population controllers this agenda that we're talking about once you introduce the IVF revolution to its full extent it's very expensive so only the upper classes of society will be able to afford that while the undesirables will find it very hard to breed any longer with all of the chemicals that are going in and all of the decline in sperm rates. And I think that's what ultimately the COVID jab agenda was for. You you mentioned some great work a couple of years ago on the PZP vaccine and how they use a similar shots to make uh, entire populations of elephants and 
horses and everything like that that are out in the wild infertile and make them sterile. And this is the exact thing they were sterilizing people and bloodlines openly in the 50s. Now, again, through eugenics modernization, they just do it to themselves. And so through the entire mix of things we've been talking about, we're in a position where people are reaching out for IVF and it creates the classism and with gene editing technology, this CRISPR revolution, which now includes CRISPR-9, which is sort of a super-formed version of CRISPR, that's what they're saying. We're going to enter a world where you're going to have to regulate designer babies, people going in saying, I want blue eyes and I want green hair and I want all of the, I want a super-genius kid. This is the realm that mainstream science is saying we're not too far from and they're normalizing people because you can't blame people out there there's probably listeners again that have gone through this struggle maybe that are going through this struggle because you can't blame people that want to have a child if they want to do that it's like they're going to go to any lengths to achieve it so it really is as huxley said the perfect dictatorship without tears so to speak because just like in Brave New World, from life to death, all of human activity will be controlled. And not just that, we're seeing in utero has been a big focus. So even you know, before life has really sprung and, and come to existence. So this is what we're seeing. And the IVF revolution is a big part of it because it's normalizing. Those statistics are very shocking but at the same time i have seen a lot of it and this is why i talk about it because you do see ivf everywhere mainstream media channel 7 all of this stuff sharing ivf stories of this celebrity and what have you they're all out there just recently oh jennifer aniston has given up on babies because of you can't get ivf to work and there's just normalization where this is the future they don't want people just giving births and Biniparous primitives anymore. They want complete control. And then from there, you can just suffocate a little bit of oxygen in this embryo, a little bit of alcohol into this one. And I mean, it's a spitting image of Brave New World. And the fact that we don't have legislation that regulates this, we've lived in a world, even since we've done the ARP, John, where new technologies get released and the laws are playing catch up to regulate them. They've got to play catch up to go, oh, this has come out. Now we've got to, instead of doing it first and having the regulations in. So you've seen in, in China, I'll make the, the Chinese researcher who was thrown in jail because he created CRISPR babies. And now he has come out saying that we should genetically engineer, we should gene edit embryos. He's actually said this. I'm actually going to do an article on it in a couple of days on the website is what they're talking about it's literal brave new world so when we talk about this being oh it's a theory it's like no we are literally living in a world where this is coming true and there's going to be nothing to regulate it so that's the that's the biggest concern of it all but again if you're aware of this plan you don't have to go down that path and there are other options for you and you can create a better world for yourself so even though it is very confronting we are you know, i i think cosmos every day at least had the eyes to see mate i don't i sometimes think to myself if only i'd taken the blue pill <laughs> and we've come to the end of the first hour but there's a couple of things i want to touch on there you mentioned how some people are saying that they don't want to have children because of overpopulation or because it's not good for the world or whatever which by the way i have seen and heard people say that 
Now, whether that's their real justification or they can't have children because they don't have a partner or they're now infertile, whatever, and it's a post facto rationalization, they're just saying, oh, I don't want children because it's bad for the world. But really, they did. They just can't. Obviously, we don't know. But check this out. So when I was doing my research today, obviously, I was going through my notes with your work, but then I went a bit further to see other things that I thought were relevant. I found this guy from Australia, this expert in Australia, an expert in assisted reproduction. And he was saying how if somebody has IVF, the babies born that way are more likely to be infertile than the regular population, which is something that I already knew about. But I found out about that when I was doing my research on the Epsilon Agenda back in 2017. I found a more recent thing from that guy. So there's a Sydney Morning Herald article, which I'll link to in the show notes. People can go and check this if they want. This isn't my opinion. But it's, it seems obvious and logical to me that if people are not able to have children by themselves, so they use assisted reproduction, that their children are more likely to need assisted reproduction. And then just think through this logically. Just think about this logically. What happens to their children and their children? Obviously, we'll reach a point where almost everybody's going to need assisted reproduction. That just stands to reason. And this guy was saying, this is an expert. He was saying, yeah, babies born to IVF are more likely to need uh, IVF themselves and so on and so forth. But I found a more recent thing from him. He was on the ABC just a few months ago. I'll link to this in the show notes as well. But I'll play a short clip here for the listeners. This is at the end of a 10-minute ABC, obviously Australian broadcasting corporation in, uh, in Australia. This is a 10-minute interview where he's talking about some of the problems with IVF. And there's 20,000 women in Australia every year trying to use this technology after the age of 40, only 5% are successful, all this stuff. But then at the end, the presenter says, Oh, as we've been, because it was like a live interview on the radio, I guess. She says, oh, I've been getting these text messages from people and they're saying, isn't it a good thing that less and less people can have children? And get this. In fact, I won't even tell you what he says. I'm going to play this in right now for listeners. This is the last two minutes of a 10-minute interview. This is the expert sounding the alarm about some of the problems with IVF. Listen to what he says in the last two minutes of this interview. The statistics, Professor, are quite inter- interesting. There's something like 20,000 women in their early 40s um, in Australia every year who undertake IVF therapy, but the success rate is something like less than 5%. Per cycle, yes, wow. that's right. So 95% of women will walk away from those therapies. Those 20,000 women uh, will walk away from their therapy, uh, most of them with, with no, cons- no, no, um, no children. So. so, Professor, before I let you go then, I'm getting a lot of text messages from our listeners saying that surely less people on this planet is a good thing. Isn't a decreasing birth rate good news? Yes, so um, and I couldn't agree more. In fact, a, de- a decline in the world's population would be a wonderful thing in that it would save the environment. The problem is that if we don't realise what the factors are that are driving down fertility, we just won't be uh, in control of the situation. And basically what I'm trying to advocate for is a soft landing. The population is going to decline. That's inevitable now. And uh, we just have to wake up to the factors that are driving it and try to get some measure of control over it. If we have a catastrophic loss of um, population numbers, it will have dramatic effects on uh, on economies and uh, on our way of life, basically. And so this is very much also then about understanding those high uh, infertility rates. That, that's That's key here too. Yes, no, absolutely. We just need to do a lot more work on why why people are infertile and try to address the cause and not just keep reaching for assisted conception as the solution. 
a decline in the world's population would be a wonderful thing in that it would save the environment. So, Ethan, the way that we record these interviews, I actually cut these clips in in post, so you didn't get to hear that. But take my word for it. The dude says it's a good thing. The presenter and the dude say, yeah, it's a good thing that people are more, but there's less people able to have children because we need less people. So even the guy who's sounding the alarm about some of the problems with IVF, he himself actually wants less people. It is phenomenal to me. Now, we've got so many more things that we can talk about, but we have come to the end of the first hour. So I want to give you a chance just to boil it down for us. We've gone through your article in New Dawn, which obviously I'll link to in the show notes below. You can buy these magazines in the physical copy, but you can buy them digitally. Uh, that's what I did when I wanted to get your article. Obviously, I just got a digital copy, $6 Australian. I would encourage anybody who has found any of this interesting to follow that link, spend the 6 bucks Australian, get a copy of this magazine. It's worth it just for Ethan's article. And we've only touched on some of the stuff from the article today. Ethan's article is very detailed. There's eight or nine sections, like something like 25 footnotes, which I've followed the links they check out. Phenomenal article. I would recommend anybody go and check it out. But Ethan, for those who won't go and read the article for themselves, just boil this down for us. And I know that's very difficult to do because we've covered so many things here and your article covers so many things. But if you could boil this down, when you talk about the Epsilon agenda, if you had to give someone the elevator pitch, what you're talking about and why this is important, what is the Epsilon agenda and why should people care about this? Epsilon agenda is the intergenerational creation of an Epsilon class of human beings to easily manage and control. And this is finally the perfect system that this eons old system is finally manifesting. And obviously, we don't know what real history is and history has been covered up, but it seems to me like they've learnt about humans, they've learnt about us as a herd, so to speak, and they are managing us towards a vision that they believed in their own eyes, is better for us in the long run. And not have, and scientists are talking about, why don't we produce moral enhancement technologies to make people morally better, behavior changing? They are morphing humans because they have this, I guess, distorted, and some could call it distorted, we can argue in, in another piece or what have you this is the real deeper element of it is it bad is it good but they believe they're doing it for the betterment of us so there's no more emotions there's no more hatred there's no more violence it's just going to be the perfect system where people are just dumb enough to consume and, and won't question anything anymore and that is good for the species that's ultimately what the species needs and we as we've detailed in this episode have been living through this change which has been driven by scientism and we are seeing that manifest today. We're almost about to enter into a realm where the first batch of epsilons will essentially be growing up and essentially be a part of the system. So the epsilon agenda is just through targeted scientific herd management the morphing of a species into something that is more manageable for those that are carrying it out. They believe they're doing it for the betterment of the herd. And we seem to be a few of the little piggies in the herd or a few of the sheep in the herd that see the, the gates around us. And that's something that you said to me back in 2016, mate. And it was very powerful. And I think that's really what sums it up. We're all just a herd that is being managed by people that have managed us for at least centuries 
and they've done the same thing forever and it's just a reinvented version of it. The difference is now is that we're going to enter into this transhuman era where perfectly manage the human you have to drill out a little bit more of the human some of its spark some of its intellect some of its humanness and this symbiosis with machines that they're pushing this transhuman era get the microchip inside of you chips inside of your baby this is where they're going we don't have to follow that path and hopefully we will take a different direction and everyone out there will take a different direction listening to this and we although we have been victims of this in many ways we don't have to be it's a long battle you know just because you lose one battle you don't lose the war so to speak and i guess we need to work and, and maybe you'll find that maybe that is our purpose all along and potentially the same people that are carrying out this agenda maybe they make things a little bit obvious so that some of us can see it and avoid it. And there's like a dual thing going on here. But that's some of the deeper things. In a sense, the Epsilon agenda is what we're witnessing. If you if you question why people uh, don't question why they're obedient, why they're dumber than ever, why they're sicker than ever, why everything. It all relates back to you can explain it all through this agenda that's been going on, which is eugenics which has been going since the theory of evolution, the great revolution of scientism to ensure that the herd, so to speak, will um, stay as fit as possible in their eyes. And so this is what we're entering into. So that is the Epsilon Agenda, and I thank everyone for tuning in to, to listen to that and to, as we go through it. So just be aware of it and take the steps to get away. Well, obviously, we can't do the article justice in an audio-based uh, format. So if any of what we spoke about today sounds hyperbolic or exaggerated or drawing long bows that shouldn't be drawn or what have you, fair enough. I recommend people go and check out this article. Link in the info box below, $6 Australian for the entire magazine. And apparently, they've got other articles about the Georgia Guy and what have you, but just for Ethan's article, it's worth the money and it's laid out in a much better fashion when it's written. With all the footnotes and citations, you can check for yourself. It's written and laid out much better than a podcast can do justice. But we tried our best here in the first hour of the call. In the second hour, Ethan, I hope you're up for this. I want to ask you, is it possible that actually the Huxleys and their associates might be right? And I know that's crazy, but we can look at what they're doing. We can realize what they're doing. We can see the evidence they're doing it. Do we have to be against it? And dear listeners all around the world here at JohnTheBond.com and Bombersations, don't think when you come to the second hour, it'll be me telling you this is a good thing necessarily. However, in Brave New World, it's my contention, and we'll talk about this in the second hour, that Aldous wasn't saying that he's for this, and he wasn't saying he's against it. There are different ways you can look at what's happening, and I think it's worth doing that. Even if at the end of the process, you decide, nope, this is bad, I'm against it, fair enough. But let's look at the different questions that have to do with that. That's what we'll do in the second hour. Also in the second hour, as soon as I promise, we'll come back a bit more perky and happy once we've got all the black pills out of the way. We'll talk to Ethan about his time at the Paradigm Shift Summit where he spoke to a large audience who were there to talk about alternative ideas. Really an amazing achievement, Ethan. I'm so proud of what you've done. We'll talk about your experiences there, which, by the way, folks, I haven't even heard Ethan talk about his experiences yet. This is the first time we've spoken since you did that. So I can't wait to hear about the experience that you had on the Gold Coast as part of that summit. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about how you had a knock on the door from the freaking popo because an alleged gunman in the Queensland shooting was a prolific commenter on your website. That's right, tottnews.com. One of the alleged gunmen in the Queensland police shooting from December of last year 
didn't just leave one or two comments on your site. He left a lot of them. And you got a knock on the door from the police. And that was just the beginning of a truly bizarre thing that you went through. We'll talk about that in the second hour. And then if we get time, we'll talk about some other things as well. Listeners, I promise we'll be more perky in the second hour. I hope you enjoy the first hour. Check those links in the show notes below. The first link will be to tattoonews.com. Go and check it out. Uh, Ethan publishes lots of content for the public. In fact, I think most of his content is publicly available. He's also got a member section as well. But the most important thing, I think, is this article, this Epsilon Agenda, six bucks. This is the last time I'm going to shill for it, if that's what it sounds like. But guys, it's 100% worth it. Go and support independent media, New Dawn magazine. Get the copy that has Ethan. Link to that in the show notes below. And if you can, come and join us for the second hour at Bombersations. It'll be me. It'll be Ethan. And uh, I'm tempted to have a couple of frothies, Ethan, because what a wild nine years it's been since we first met and had those first couple of frothies in Brisbane. I'm sitting here, man. I'm blown away. I, I wrote an article called Epsilon Agenda on my website. When I was still, when I was 29 years old, before I'd even turned 30, when I was still at the end of my 20s, I wrote that piece. I looked back at it today, compared it to what you've done with this New Dawn article. You've taken it to a whole new level, man. Well done. Congratulations to you. And I look forward to speaking to you in just a moment. For the Bombersation supporters, links to all of that in the show notes below as well. And we're going to go out in this first hour with a clip from a film from the 1970s. It's called Network. And in this film, there's a big honcho. And he takes the protagonist into a big room and he says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to try and convince you to stop raging against the machine because there's more going on than you realize. And they close the blinds and it's, it's a dark, almost smoky room. There's no one smoking in there, but it's like the, the boardroom of where the, the movers and shakers do their business. And this guy says to the main character, he says, you've meddled with the forces of evil, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. And he goes on to explain that these guys have a vision. You might not understand the vision, but these guys have a vision, and it might not be as bad as you think. So we'll go out with that clip. We'll be back with the second hour in just a moment. This has been Bombersations number 33 on July July 6 here in uh, beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria, and in Australia, actually. We've been speaking with Ethan Nash from TOTT News, and this has been Bombersations number 33. Thank you very much, Ethan. I'll see you in just a moment. And for those of you who won't join us for the second hour, I hope you've enjoyed this first hour, and I wish you all a lovely day. The world is a college of corporations inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. And our children will live, Mr. Beale, to see that perfect world in which there's no war or famine, oppression, or brutality. One vast and ecumenical holding company for whom all men will work to serve a common profit in which all men will hold a share of stock, all necessities provided, all anxieties tranquilized, all boredom amused. And I have chosen you, Mr. Beale, to preach this evangel. Why me? Because you're on television, dummy. Sixty million people watch you every night of the week, Monday through Friday. I have seen the face of God. You just might be right, Mr. Beale. You've been listening to Bonversations. 
Find more episodes at johnlebon.com. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. How dare you!